And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome into the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It is Thursday, July 7th. July, always a great month in the baseball world. The All-Star Game not too far away from now. The trade deadline just a couple of weeks away from now. So a whole lot to get to on this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Let's get to it. Michael Beller, Al Melchior here with you. We've also got a few of our beat writers from the Athletic who are going to be joining us in short order. First though, Al, it's been a couple of weeks, man. How you doing? What's going on? Uh, good, good. Yeah. I mean, the, the baseball season keeps steaming along, uh, even when we don't talk for a couple of weeks. It's nice of them to keep things going, even though you and I haven't talked for a couple of weeks. <laughs> it's nice to know that that just keeps on, that keeps on rolling. I was on vacation last week, spending some time with my wife's family in Cleveland, actually made it to a baseball game, a Guardians and, and Twins game, and picked up some useful information from that game that we're going to uh, talk about with Zach Mizell a little bit later when we get to the Cleveland Guardians. First, However, we are going to discuss the Texas Rangers and bring on our Rangers beat writer at The Athletic, Levi Weaver. Levi, what's going on, man? How you doing? Not too much, man. I am sitting here uh, kind of shifting gears, I think, a little bit on this season after the Rangers got swept by the Orioles. Um, Yeesh, yes. Yeah, I mean, that's not <laughs> that's not as embarrassing as it would have been, you know, last year or the year before uh, or two years ago or, or three yeah. years ago. Both of these teams have been so bad for so long. Uh, yeah. But yeah, not not happy times in Arlington right now. So I assume that means that we are talking about this team, uh, as we said, just a couple of weeks out from from the deadline as a seller. You'd think. You would think. Uh, I kind of get the sense. I mean, there might be a few subtractions. Uh, you know, like Matt Moore has been surprisingly good out of the bullpen. Um, he's on a one-year deal, so sure, you know, trade him for somebody. But I, I don't, I don't really get the sense that the Rangers are are too keen on leaning into a traditional sell mode this year. Um, for a couple of reasons. One is they don't really have a whole lot of pieces to do that with. Uh, Martin Perez, maybe, but if his Perez is tricky because he's outperforming his career stats, right? So like, are you going to get somebody to believe that this is a real turnaround and overpay? Okay, cool. Yes, that is a go. Um, but do teams believe that? And, and then do the Rangers believe that? Because if they do, they would probably be better served to keep him around and try to sign him back, you know, for a multi-year deal at the end of this year. Um, and then after that, you're looking at like, I mean, they're not going to trade Seager or Simeon. Mm-hmm. Nathaniel Lowe, maybe, but he's still young and controllable and with the team through these years that they expect to contend. So 23-24. Same for Adolis Garcia, who's getting paid close to league minimum. Um, and then who else Who else is there, right? It's Cole Calhoun, Brad Miller. Is that going to bring you anything back? No, probably not. So I think more likely is that the Rangers will do something kind of similar to what they did in 2015, which is they were supposed to be sellers that year. 
traded for Cole Hamels and said, hey, this is for next year. We're And then they went and won the division. They're not doing that this year. <laughs> but I would not at all be surprised to go see them grab a, like a, a young starting pitcher that is under team control through 25, 26 and kind of just try to set themselves up for the for the coming years. Well, you mentioned Martin Perez, and it sounds like the Rangers have the same dilemma that fantasy managers have, which is if you've got Martin Perez trying to convince your your fellow managers that uh, you know you should be uh, giving up something for the 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 twenty twenty two stat line that he's put up. Uh, but I, I don't feel like John Gray has been discussed enough in fantasy circles. I don't feel like he is being given due credit because since the beginning of June, he's, he's reached, he apparently has reached another level. So I say, apparently, are, are you seeing that? Do you, do you see a change? And if so, what's behind the change? Because he's, he's been really consistently great uh, for the last month plus. He has. And I think it's uh, the easy answer is probably just health related, right? He had a blister right out of the gate. After that, he had a knee sprain and was wearing like a knee brace. And he, he tried not to make excuses, but he was like, yeah, it's a little, it feels a little heavy. It feels weird to be wearing this while I'm pitching. Um, knee braces off, he's completely healthy. And then just like that, I know correlation is not always causation, but it aligned pretty exactly with the time when he got the knee brace off that he's been really good. His his new slider, he's got a new like sweeping slider that he's introduced this year. Um, and it, it's it looks pretty nasty. Yeah, I mean he's been really good, and and hopefully for the Rangers that'll that'll continue. Um, I I don't have any inside information as to like oh, and also he you know finally discovered a ghost in his hotel room like he's been searching <laughs> for for years. Uh, I I think it might just be that he's healthy. Wouldn't that be something though? You should just write it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did talk to him. So he he is uh, a a noted ghost hunter. It has like the tools and stuff. Get the hell and, like, out of here. He, no, no, this is serious. Uh, I talked to him about it, and he apparently saw a ghost when he was a child, like six or so years old, has been really fascinated by it since, uh, but does not have any stories as an adult of actually having found a ghost. So what, What's the hotel in Milwaukee? I, think, I want to say it's called the Fister. Yes. There, there's, yeah, okay. So I, I haven't checked the schedule to see if the Rangers have gone or are going there. But. Yeah. They're not. They're not this year. He did talk about the Fister and and uh, oh my God. That this is was, incredible. There's there's video if you if you can find it somewhere like uh, I think it was a Rockies broadcast and somebody went with him and just sort of watched him with his little beep 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 machine and <laughs> paranormal yeah, yeah. finder. Oh my yeah, God! So. Well, I I uh, that's I mean I'm loath to move on. But I feel like you can't just get totally bogged down in John Gray's ghost hunting. So how about hunting for some some uh, signs that we can follow on Corey Seager? Which of these numbers do you buy more? The 233 batting average or the 297 X batting average? Oh, uh, <laughs> I think the one I buy most is his uh, defensive run saved. Uh <laughs> I think it's I. I've been trying to solve this mystery. I, I think if you if you make me pick one, it's probably the XBA, just given his track record, right? Like he's always mm-hmm. been a good hitter. The Rangers signed him because they expected that he was going to be a superstar at the plate. And anytime there's that big of a difference between XBA and batting average, it's you kind of tend to think it's he's probably just getting unlucky. Um, we're we're deep enough in the season that the XBA stats have kind of stabilized a little bit. Like if it's mid April, you probably can't rely on those much, I wouldn't think, but we're past the 4th of July now. So mm-hmm. I do think I'd buy that more. Uh, I do wonder if at some point he's going to have to adjust his 
uh, approach and maybe start hitting the ball the opposite way more. What I would like to see from him is to be a bit more patient at the plate. Like he is a notorious first pitch swinger. Uh, and let me, let me pull up his baseball savant page because there's something that I want to look at on him. Um, I want to see his chase rate because it seems to me just watching that he has chased quite a bit this year. Um, what, what do we have here? His chase rate. Yeah. He's in the 35th percentile. So for me, I think that would be a, a quick fix to kind of help his productivity is to be a bit more patient at the plate. And I know that that is asking a guy to change kind of who he is. He's never been a super patient guy, but it couldn't hurt. He's hitting two thirty something like let's maybe change it up a little bit. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's, I think he's not as bad as his numbers have been, but I do think there's still room, uh, for uh, quite a bit of room for improvement. Well, while you've got baseball savant open, let's take a, a look at Mitch Garver because okay. he has been such a hard player to figure out the last like three or four years or so. The the barrel rate goes up and down. Uh, the batting average goes up and down. And the, on the surface, it seems like he's having kind of a Mitch Garver kind of year with a lower batting average, mm-hmm. but his exit velocity is way, way down this year. And so based on what you see watching him on a regular basis, uh, is there hope for him to to start crushing the ball and not having to just completely sell out for whatever power he's got? If I, and listen, I know we're on a fantasy podcast and I know that I am bad at fantasy sports. So please take this with a grain of salt. If I had Mitch Garver on my fantasy team, I would trade him today for whatever I could get. And I don't mean that as any sort of a knock on Mitch the player. I think he's going to be a good hitter for a long time. But he has a flexor tendon injury. He can't catch right now. And he can't throw the ball at all. At some point, the Rangers are going to have to pull the plug and just go tell him, go get surgery, get it fixed, be ready for spring training next year. And really the window to do that for him to be ready by spring training is like now. Like it's now or early August for the recovery time for an, for an injury like that. And if the team isn't contending, there's no point in having Mitch Garver DH for the rest of the year. Those at bats can go to young guys that you're looking at for next year. And you like, what's, what's the point in wasting some at bats for him in meaningless games at, at a position that he's not happy at? Like he likes catching. He told us uh, during the last homestand that like catching is part of who I am and to be the player that I want to be, I'm going to have to get surgery. So you just got swept by the Orioles, right? Like that's great. He hit home runs in the last two games. Just, Just call it. Send him off, get surgery, have him healthy for next year to be a catcher, bring up Sam Huff, get him some at-bats and figure out exactly what you've got on this guy. Um, So from a fantasy standpoint, like if I had that and somebody was willing to give me anything for Mitch Garver, um, I would get slapped later at a meeting for trading him, knowing he was going to be having surgery in the coming weeks. Like Tommy Pham would just have at me. (laughs) There you go. He would hate it. He would not yep. let you go, not let you get away with that. But hey, maybe it could open up some some time for Sam Huff. Maybe it could open up some time for Ezekiel Duran. Obviously, a little bit different mm-hmm. of a player. But uh, what can you tell us about why he was sent down, and if and when we'll see him again with the Rangers this season? Yeah, he he was very uh, productive when he came up. Super hot. Had a like I think he could, I was on vacation, so I'm trying to remember the detail. I was watching on the little uh, game feed app. I think he had like a game tying or a go-ahead triple in Detroit. Uh, but it seems like the league kind of figured him out a little bit. He went on a little bit of a cold stretch after that. I think he had like an 0 for 15, 0 for 16. When he was called up, it was never meant to be for a long time anyway. 
the Rangers wanted to see Josh Smith and then Smith was injured. They had already let Matt Carpenter depart for the Yankees. Uh, Andy Abanez was not hitting. And that was, they were like, okay, well, let's get this guy up here for a week or two until we can get somebody else uh, back. And then he came up and he was on fire. So they kept him around longer than, than they originally planned to, um, you know, having come up from double a, he's just, is probably not quite ready for the big leagues yet, but did show enough, I think to, to prove that like, yeah, he's going to be a big leaguer probably soon, maybe again by the end of the year. Um, but, but could probably just use a few more regular at bats in AAA before he's ready to come up and sort of make that. There's always the, you know, when you get to the league, the, the league adjusts and the first real test is, can you counter adjust to when they figure out like, Oh, he can't hit a slider in the low and away portion of the, of the strike zone. Can you close those holes in your swing? And, and that's all he needs to do is just make those, those readjustments. Well, one other player here, just to get an update on Josh Young, is there any chance he plays this year? Is there any chance he plays for the Rangers? What's what's the the plan for him? Yes and no in that order. Uh, he is expected to be able to DH, I think, sometime around August. I actually need to check in on him because it's we're starting to get close to when he should be ready to come back. Uh, he will not be playing third base or any defense this year as he recovers from the torn labrum that he had in his shoulder. Uh, that's a big injury, man. That's the one that got Jurickson and Profar too. So, uh, and sure as I say that now, I'm second guessing myself. I think that's the one that got Jurickson and Profar too. Uh, he will, he will get some at bats. I don't think it's going to be in the big leagues unless he just comes up and, you know, just tears it up in AAA for a month and the team kind of wants to, um, reward him by going, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll bring you up in mid September and give you, you know, 50 at bats or whatever, just to see how you look in the big leagues and see if you can pull off an Ezekiel Duran thing. And then perhaps trade him because the Rangers have so many infielders in the, in the minor leagues right now, and they need starting pitching. So I would not at all be surprised to see Josh Young headline, if not at the deadline because he's injured, but maybe in this off season headline a deal for a young starting pitcher. Um, you know, and if it's not him, it's, Josh Smith or Duran or Dustin Harris, who has been really good. If they can throw Davis Wenzel into a deal, uh, I mean, they've got just, you know, a half dozen more after that that look like they're probably going to be big leaguers at some point. So that's where I would expect to see the Rangers deal from. Um, but yeah, I, w- I would not be surprised if Young is, is traded at some point. A team that we will be watching over this next month, certainly with an eye on potential activity and into the offseason as well. That is Levi Weaver, Texas Rangers beat writer here at The Athletic. Levi, thanks again for being with us on the Fantasy Baseball Pod. Thank you. Make sure to give uh, Zach Meisel a really hard time for me. (laughs) Absolutely. You got it, man. We'll talk to you later. All right. Take care. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? 
Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit directtv.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, we move things a little bit west here, going from the Texas Rangers to the Arizona Diamondbacks on this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Zach Buchanan joining us to break down the D-backs. Zach, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you guys? Uh, we are doing well. We are doing well. We're doing a little bit better, I think, at least performance-wise, than Zach Gallen, who's uh, putting up an ERA in the 5.5 range over his last eight starts. Any long-term concerns related to Gallen right here? I don't think it's long-term concerns as much as just maybe a couple of rough starts. Um, I, I think he's really talented. Uh, and he obviously, we, we saw how talented he was when he first came up and he had this incredible run of starts. I think he broke Aaron Seeley's record or something for most starts to begin a career without allowing more than three earned runs. Um, he, I think he's a really good pitcher. Brent Strom was talking about him, you know, the pitching coach yesterday and says, you know, he's long believed that Zach has the, the ability to win a Cy Young, uh, I, I would expect him to to perform a little better over the second half here. Um, he's been working, sharpening some things up with the slider that should help him. Uh, he's he's the most talented pitcher on the roster by far, um, and I wouldn't be surprised if he finishes the season as the best pitcher in the Diamondbacks rotation. Well, sticking with the rotation, Zach Davies uh, recently going on the IL, and I was very surprised to see Tyler Gilbert get the call. He's not put up good stats uh, at AAA. Uh, I was sort of anticipated we'd see Tommy Henry. Uh, so what's the story there? Because it seems like the Diamondbacks just generally uh, are going to uh, you know a, a few select pitchers uh, when there's uh, vacancies and not really bringing up um, – their prospects like Henry. So could we see Henry or, or perhaps with the other pitching prospects in the, in the next few weeks? Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it seems like Tyler Gilbert's here for the foreseeable future. Um, I don't know if that means he's continuing in this rotation spot. Um, he's certainly not a guy outside of last year when he had that kind of incredible run that began with his no hitter, not a guy they've given a long leash to really. Um, but this organization, for for as long as I've been around it, it's 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 odd that they've generally seemed to be resistant to turning to a young, higher profile pitching prospect when there is someone in AAA who has maybe been around the block a couple times. Even if that guy is Tyler Gilbert or Dallas Keuchel, like we're seeing in the rotation right now as well. Um, they, they seem to go reach for those arms before they go down and get the, the prospect who everybody's wants to see and, and is anticipating what they might be able to do. And Tommy Henry obviously has pitched pretty well at AAA. Uh, Strom was talking, uh, yesterday about just some of the metrics they look at winning the first three pitches, uh, first pitch strikes, uh, being able to land off speed things for strikes when they're behind the count, uh, and, and kind of looking at those metrics and how they select some of these these pitchers when, when they come up and, and determine when they're ready for the big leagues. I don't know how Tommy rates in all those metrics. I know walks were an issue for a while, but he's certainly compared to Tyler Gilbert. Like Tommy Henry figures to be a bigger part of this team's future. I think a lot of fans would like to see Tommy Gilbert uh, or, or Tommy Henry. I, now I'm all confused. Um, <laughs> and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we do see him before the end of the season. Certainly uh, of all the arms they have in their stable in AA and AAA, he's the guy that would appear to be closest Maybe Brandon Fott is a close second behind that. Um, but So we've got to see these guys at some point. They've talked a lot about building up this core of young arms. And uh, what's the point of having them if they never pitch in the big leagues? 
Uh, and so it, it is a question they need to answer. And I would imagine probably after the deadline that there are, there's few less holding on to these guys who have been around a little bit, who don't have much of a future with the organization, maybe more of a focus on uh, getting those guys to the big leagues and seeing what they can do. Dalton Varsho having himself a nice little season doing that power speed combo that uh, fantasy managers certainly love to see, expected it of him, and he has uh, delivered certainly in the home run and steals department to this point of the season. Uh, He's pretty much, I want to say in basically every fantasy format, he's cleared the uh, thresholds necessary to keep that catcher eligibility for next season, but... As you look at him, as you look at Carson Kelly, uh, especially after the deadline, if and when trades are made and guys, outfielders specifically, are brought up from the minors, could Varsho ultimately move back behind the dish as a permanent thing and supplant Carson Kelly as the primary catcher here? Um, That's a good question. I don't know if that happens this season. Um, Carson, they really like what Carson does defensively. Carson missed some time with an injury, um, and so they're going to give him a going to give him a chance to get back in the groove. We've seen Carson at times, but both in 2019 and the first half of last year, um, where he's been like a really good hitter. He's always had his vulnerabilities versus right-handed pitching, but he's crushed lefties in the past. And uh, he he just kind of presents a better overall defensive package than than Varsho does. Not that Varsho is bad, but uh, Carson is an above average defensive catcher. and, And this organization really values that. But, uh, Carson will be going into his second year of arbitration eligibility after this season. Uh, that's when guys start to get a little expensive. He has yet to really put together a full season. I think that's the point where this team has to take stock and say, okay, where are we at the catcher position? Uh, they love Dalton's ability to play all over the field. You know, he played some center field before Alec Thomas came up uh, and did it pretty well. He's pretty much the everyday right fielder right now. It, you know, it, that cost Paven Smith a roster spot. Now Paven Smith is hurt at AAA. Um, so I think they, they view that versatility as a way to keep Dalton in the lineup while keeping a better defensive catcher in the game. But if, if they reach a point where, okay, we have to make a decision on whether Carson Kelly is part of the future of this club, uh, then the obvious candidate to go back there every day is Dalton Varsha. So I think it, it all hinges on what their plans are with Carson Kelly. Well, I want to piggyback on Michael's question because one scenario he raised is uh, if if there are outfielders that are called up after the deadline, we certainly would all love to see Corbin Carroll make his debut this year Uh, from things that I've read. It doesn't sound like that's necessarily very likely, but what, what are you saying in terms of Carroll or Dominic Fletcher or even Stone Garrett, uh, who's just having a phenomenal year uh, in AAA, uh, any of those three playing in the majors this year? Um. I think Corbin Carroll could do it um, just based on his ability and makeup. But I think it's telling that uh, he more than anybody has deserved a promotion out of double A and he's, they haven't done that yet. I, I would imagine he's in triple A soon, maybe after the all-star break or something like that. What left does he have to show against double A pitching? Um, but they promoted the other guys quicker. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Dominic Fletcher. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Jake McCarthy again in the big leagues or even Paven Smith once he's passed his wrist injury, although that, that should be more than a month until that happens. Uh, Storm Garrett's been an incredible story. Uh, you have to get him on the roster. That's a challenge with him, getting him on the 40-man roster. Um, but any of those guys would, would make sense to get a look at. Um, I, I think it's less about Varsho and more about um, David Peralta. Is he on this team come August 2nd after the, the deadline? 
Um, certainly he doesn't seem to be a, a part of this team's future as much as he has been a big part of its history. I think he's third on the team in hits and games played in, in franchise history. Um, but he's a, an older left-handed hitting outfielder who's pretty much limited the left field on a team that is filled with left-handed hitting outfielders who play, uh, who are better defenders, uh, or at least can play in more spots in the outfield. Um, and at, at a certain point he, you know, they need to, to get those young guys looks. So if David Peralta, if you take that guy out of basically playing every day in left field, then maybe you have a spot to get Dominic Fletcher a look or Stone Garrett a look if you want to go that way, um, or Dominic Canzone. Uh, I mean, they have just a lot of guys who fit this profile. Uh, I, would, I would guess if I were a betting man, and I'm not, that we don't see Corbin Carroll until next year. Uh, but it's certainly possible. I think if, if anybody could make that jump and succeed right away, I think it's him. Um, but they've been pretty conservative with him so far since starting starting him at Double A. Fantasy managers and real life GMs alike always looking for some bullpen help this time of year, Zach. So even though it hasn't been the greatest of seasons for Mark Melanson, stands to reason that he could find himself on another team come the beginning of August. How likely do you think that is? And is it as obvious as the D-backs turning to Joe Mantiply as the closer if uh, Melanson does indeed get moved? Uh, yeah, that's that's a good question. So um, Melanson has been pitching better recently. Brent Strom talked yesterday about uh, they've gotten him throwing his cutter higher in the zone, calling him top shelf cutters. Then it's, it's helped him be a little bit more effective because obviously his stuff is not overwhelming. His velocity has been down. He's an older guy. He's got a long track record of success, but I think even if you if you dig behind the numbers last year when he was in San Diego and had I think thirty nine saves that some of them were kind of kind of rickety. And uh, it, it wasn't just the most comfortable ninth inning every time he was out there. Um, so I, the, the X factor here is this deal. You know, when they signed him, it was a two-year deal, I think, with an option for a third year. Certainly not super expensive. I think a, a guarantee of like $14 million. Um, but if, if you're a team and you're thinking, I think it's a different conversation if you're thinking, okay, can we get two good months out of him versus are we going to get a year and two good months out of him? Uh, and are we willing to pay him? what is probably a relatively modest salary, but still like be on the hook for his 2023 season when he'll be 37 or 38. Um, at the time they made, they signed that deal. It seemed like an, an attractive thing on, on the trade market. Like, Hey, we can offer this guy with some extra control as a premier closer at, at the trade deadline. If we choose to move him I'm now, I wonder if it's kind of like a weight around his neck a little bit and if it would dissuade some teams from being interested. So I'm not sure how the industry views that. Uh, But certainly if he were to go, you know, if Ian Kennedy is healthy and he's not right now, uh, I would think he would step into the closer role. Mantiply has been really good. Just Mantiply just doesn't have like the, the, the closer type stuff. And he said he's had a a couple rough outings recently. He got hit around last night. Um, But I, I, I would wonder if there are maybe other arms in that, in that bullpen like maybe try Luke Weaver there. You know, Luke Weaver's been kind of this, you know, limbo of long relief, not really getting a lot of looks, but he's got he's got big stuff. And I think it'd be worthwhile for this team to experiment with him as a one-inning reliever and just really let him blow it out. Um, so I, I would think that that job would be pretty up in the air. Another postseason-less season in the desert headed our way, but still plenty of intrigue going on with these D-backs as we get closer and closer to the trade deadline. It's Zach Buchanan covering the D-backs and a whole lot more baseball for us at The Athletic. Zach, thanks again for being with us on the Fantasy Baseball Pod. Yeah, thanks for having me. 
All right, we are wrapping things up here on the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. One more guest to go, and that is Zach Mizell, who covers the Cleveland Guardians for us at the Athletic. Zach, how you doing, man? What's going on? Doing pretty well, guys. How are you? Also doing pretty well, doing a little bit better than uh, the Guardians, I would say, at this point. You know, last week you get that good series against uh, the Twins, and then you follow it up by dropping two or three to the Yankees. Forgivable. Then a four-game sweep at the hands of the Tigers, not quite so forgivable. After that, can we say firmly yet this team is going to be more in sell mode, or are we still going to play things out here for a week or two before they would maybe move in that direction? So they're in such a unique position because they have nothing to sell, right? Like They have a a couple veterans on this team. Brian Shaw is getting up there in age, but nobody is going to give up anything for him. Mm -hmm. Um their, their veterans on the position player side are Ahmed Rosario, who's 26. Jose Ramirez isn't going anywhere, and he's 29. So they don't really have much to sell. You know, maybe they get creative and they try to flip a starting pitcher, depending on how that market shakes out. But this is a really young team that's trying to build for maybe the second half of the season, but more likely 2023, 2024 and beyond and they have a wave of position player prospects mm-hmm. who will be up in the next year so honestly this is a team that could do a lot of things it's also a team that very well could do nothing um but i almost would say I'd lean buyer more than seller just because there's just nothing to sell well what about um not, maybe not to sell in the real world but in the fantasy world fran mil reyes uh, finally on a, on a bit of a heater Still a lot of strikeouts from him. Uh, Are you optimistic in terms of how he's going to finish the season? Yeah, you know, he's always been streaky. What he's done this season is taken that to an extreme, obviously. But you know there's power in there, right? This is a guy who should be able to hit 30 home runs with his eyes closed. And so I I would think more power is coming. You know, in the first half, he looked so lost. He was striking out more than 50% of his plate appearances, which is not healthy. And, you know, you'd, <laughs> no. you'd watch him go up to the plate and the pitcher would throw. There's this, I have vivid images in my head of this at bat in Oakland where I don't remember who was on the mound, but he threw him three consecutive sliders. None of them sniffed the strike zone. And it was like, because he committed and swung at the first one, he had to swing at all three <laughs> and he wasn't close. So he, he walked back to the dugout in about 30 seconds and you just knew that it was it was mental because when he does make contact, he hits the ball hard. So you know there are going to be doubles and home runs in there. You just need him to get some confidence and honestly just get on a good streak. And it seems like he's doing that. So yeah, if you, if you were able to buy low on him, I think you're in pretty good shape um, because he should, he should do some damage in the second half. And if you've just <laughs> ridden this out with him, then you might as well keep going, right? Because you've seen some numbers that you're like, I don't think this can get any worse. And then it <laughs> kept getting worse. Yeah, to that point, I mean, 99th percentile in average exit velocity, 98th percentile in hard hit rate. So when he's connecting, he's squaring it up in three homers over his last, what, six, seven games here. So maybe some signs of life from Fran Reyes uh, and something that he can carry forward into the second half of the season. Someone who has had a pretty darn good first half of the season for this team. 
is Josh Naylor. And, uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, what we always thought he could be coming up with the Padres. And then he you know makes the move over to the Guardians and 11 homers on the year. The slash line looking good. What's the staying power of what we've seen from Josh Naylor's performance thus far? Yeah, I, I think it's legitimate. I mean, we were waiting for this for years. He was a first-round pick. He was a, a highly touted prospect. And you looked at the numbers in the minor leagues, and it was – it was the type of profile that usually translates well, where not a ton of strikeouts, pretty even number of strikeouts to walks, and was hitting lefties and righties, good average. You knew power was in there. He's a big dude. Um, so it was a matter of time, but you'd seen glimpses of it, but you'd never really put it together. And then he had that gruesome leg injury last year, mm-hmm. so no one knew how he'd respond. He's responded really well. You know, He still looks a little gimpy sometimes on that leg when running, but... It's a little easier when you can trot around the bases at your own leisure. And so he's, he's shown a little more power, especially at some key moments. Um, I, I think there's staying power here. I think, I think the team looks at him as their first baseman moving forward. Um, and so I think he'll, he'll be in there and he'll get regular playing time as long as he's healthy. Uh, so, Zach, you just recently published a prospects column on The Athletic, and so there's a number of players here that I think people have uh, a lot of interest in. Um, and uh, just recently this week uh, on the prospects edition of this podcast, we talked about Bo Naylor, and so he's somebody that you wrote about. Uh, you also wrote about Daniel Espino uh, in here, and so I know you talked a bit about him pitching in Arizona, but what is the 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 near-term plan with Espino. Uh, do you think he has a chance of coming up this year? Uh, and if so, what's what's the intermediate uh, plan for him? Yeah, probably not. They're gonna they're taking this recovery really deliberately just because they think the world of him. And why not? He struck out, I think, 52% of batters he's faced in his four starts at AA this year. So, yeah, the, there's, the talent is immense. 100-mile-an-hour fastball a slider that's just a wipeout slider and um it's a matter of getting him reps that's really it the problem is he hasn't had a ton you know first round pick in 19 but then didn't have a 2020 season last year he threw about 80 innings or so so i I certainly think he could debut next season and he's going to be fascinating to watch when he does and is it you just have to make sure he doesn't fall in love with the strikeout and he's not trying you know he doesn't become one of those pitchers who's the pitch counts rising and he's only going four innings a start because he's trying to strike out 10 guys and, you know, he ends up throwing 85 pitches in four innings, you know, and just labors through it, things like that. But, but that's really just more experience. He learns how to pitch, how to attack hitters that could take care of itself by the time he does get called up. So yeah, I, I would think maybe he ends this season in triple a, as long as he makes it back here, uh, pretty soon. Um, and then I think he would be someone who will probably receive a lot of attention in spring training. Um, and then you, you could see him next season. Nolan Jones putting together a pretty good season for himself down at the AAA level, 311, 417, 500 on the slash, the walk rate up from last year, the strikeout rate down from last year. Any chance he's knocking on the door and we'll see him in Cleveland at some point this season. Yeah, I think soon. Um, you know, they have a need for it. Right now, like, I think I don't think people would be shocked if he was called up um, pretty, pretty quickly here. Um, and it's time. He's 24 years old. He was the team's top prospect for several years a few years ago. And then kind of had a fall from grace where, you know, that 2020 season, um, 
you know, I think guys took it different ways, right? Like some guys, the experience was great. I mean, Espino, the experience was great because he had never been in an organized setting like that and facing major leaguers. Um, Nolan Jones, I don't know if it helped him too much because he didn't have much left to prove in the minors at that point. Last year, he had what he described as a humbling season, had some injuries at the end of the year, injuries again this spring. So he was playing catch up. He's also playing exclusively outfield now because he did come up as a third baseman, but Jose Ramirez is going to be blocking that spot for a while. So, yeah, I think I think they're a little, I don't want to say nervous, but I think the thing one of the things maybe keeping him in AAA until now is the defense, and he just has limited experience in the outfield. But that bat, you need to learn whether it can play in the major league level, and I think there's power there, doubles and home runs. He's always drawn a ton of walks. And yeah, there are going to be strikeouts. But uh, the big thing with him is the last season and a half, he's hit lefties well. And if you look at his numbers from his first couple minor league seasons, like you couldn't play him against lefties. You know, you're talking about an OPS in the 400s and then an OPS against righties around 900 or 1,000. So those have evened out a little bit. And I think that's encouraging because you know, especially from a fantasy standpoint, you want to know if this guy's going to be in the lineup every day because if he's a platoon outfielder, that doesn't help you as much. No, it doesn't. But this certainly helping us out here. That is Zach Mizell, Cleveland Guardians beat writer at The Athletic. Zach, thanks again for being with us on the Fantasy Baseball Pod. You got it, fellas. Thank you. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. So for all of our beat writers, Zach Mizell, Zach Buchanan, and Levi Weaver, and also my co-host Al Melchior, I am Michael Beller. Thanks so much for listening. Alan DVR back with you tomorrow, tomorrow being Friday, to break down the waiver wire going into the weekend. So listen to that. Have yourselves a great weekend, and we'll talk to you soon.